This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Now back to 95.7 The Game. Hey, listen, thanks so much for being with us. Evan Giddings and me, Kevin Michael, Whitey Gleason. I just want to say real quick here, I've been in radio since... And this last couple weeks here, especially the la- during the finals, it's been about as, as much fun, probably more fun than I've ever had in radio, being on with JD after games. And the thing that's made it fun, of course, is because I, I love the NBA and love basketball. And we got the finals, but all the callers, and it's just been so exciting to have so much basketball to talk about and to hear the smartest listeners in radio with their, you know, their worries and their observations. It's been great. So thank you very much because it's about the most fun I've ever had in radio. And it's about the fans. Like that is what has made in a lot of ways the Warriors, you know, known for what they are. Like their fans when they're over in Oakland were extremely loyal, extremely energetic. And now they've found a way to bring that to Chase Center. And it feels weirdly appropriate that, you know, the first full season of the Chase Center and the Acropolis that it is on the waterfront is now getting to witness and, you know, have an NBA Finals in its building. And the energy of the fans has ramped up not only at the arena, but also on this station throughout the entire postseason. So we appreciate it. I picked the Warriors. I still think they win, but I think win or lose, Steph Curry is going to be the MVP. I may have to change that because I guess Kendrick Perkins just tweeted that. And I think he's terrible. I mean, bless him. And he played a long time. I... I don't know if I if he says that I may have to go well not the other way but I I can't continue to uh, beat on that drum if that's if that's what Kendrick Perkins is saying you can't let the people know that you believe the same thing as <laughs> exactly. Kendrick Perkins exactly you don't want to be like right? Mike you know he's carved out a nice little career here after his playing career and he played a long time and I just I'm not the biggest fan of his on air work yeah I do think he leans into bits a little bit more than others and. He's, he's very entertaining. I think the way he presents his takes is maybe more why people watch than the actual take itself. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with him here. I think Stephen yeah. Curry is on track to be the finals MVP no matter what, you know, barring a 60-point explosion from someone on Boston. To this point, obviously, he deserves it, and it's, it's even. We don't know what's going to happen, of course. But also, I think the voters are keenly aware of the fact that, wow, this guy doesn't have a finals MVP yet. That's kind of ridiculous. But that's that's the whole argument against why it matters to me is because when you watch him play, even though he doesn't have a, a finals MVP trophy, you're looking at this guy like, oh, my God, this man is incredible. He is all-time. He deserves to be on whatever, whatever pantheon you want to put him on. And his greatness is undeniable. So that would be my only reasoning against why he doesn't need one, even though it appears that whether he wins or loses and keeps playing the way he is, he'll probably get one. Because when you you watch him, 
in big moments during the regular season, whenever you watch him play, he does something that makes you reevaluate the way you watch basketball. 888-957-9570. We're also trying to figure out, hey, what's up with Draymond? Why haven't we seen him play like Draymond? Are we going to see that before this series is over? Or are we going to see him getting benched more frequently? 888-957-9570. Let's talk to Margie in Santa Rosa on 95.7 The Game. Thanks for hanging on, Margie. What can we do for you? Hi. Can you hear me okay? I'm in my car. Yes, we can. Loud and clear. Okay, good. Um, so I was born and raised in Boston, moved out here in 1970. I grew up a Celtics fan. But um, my daughter and I are diehard Warriors fans. We go to about five or six games a year. And um, so I was in Boston last week, and I was at the game Wednesday night. And I've been dying to tell somebody what it was like. It was horrible. I was so embarrassed and mortified because the whole entire crowd, I don't know what it's called, about 15,000, screaming at the top of their lungs throughout the whole game. Fuck you, Draymond. Well, well, yeah, sorry about that. We got to, yeah, thank you, Margie, for the call. Just, she actually quoted the, the fans there, and she meant no ill will, but. Uh, she just, is from Boston, yeah, so it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, she said she was, she was horrified by, by that, but sorry, Margie. Yeah, we can't, yeah, we got, uh, we got our rules and things. Shout out yeah. the FCC. Yes, thank you. Jason in Oakland, 95-7 The Game. Hello, Jason. What's up? Jason's got to turn down his radio. Hey, how you guys yeah. doing? Can you hear me? Yes, turn down your radio. Yeah, we're fine. What's up? All right, all right, man. I feel like that uh, uh, that 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 Brady Bunch, Marsha, 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 Draymond, Draymond, Draymond. <laughs> I, it, it's a bug out because he spoke to his his issues going into this series. Well, after game one, I feel like after game one, all of Draymond's problems started. You know, the fouls, the controversy, all the different stuff. And then he responded in game two, but it's a tough matchup for him. It's a tough, it's a real tough matchup for him. Yeah. I think that the only difference between everybody saying, oh, Draymond's having a, a quote unquote Draymond game is him hitting a couple of those jumpers up top. That's, that's really the only, it seems like everything else on the floor he's doing, you know, the, 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 those uh, that kind of fake handoff where he rolls to the basket and then that kind of that hockey pass, you know, Draymond gets it, he's driving and he kind of catches Kaminga for a lob or, or mm-hmm. last game he, he hit Looney for a layup. It seems like they're cutting a lot of those plays off. And then when you really think about it, man, those are the impact plays that we like, oh, Draymond, that's, that's what Draymond does. So, you know, give give Boston some credit. Good point. You know, if a couple of those jumpers if a couple of those jumpers drop, man, we're gonna be talking about Draymond in a whole different light. All right. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. I will quibble with one thing you said. You said that uh Draymond's problem started in game three. Game one was and I know I've made this point already. Game one in San it was in San Francisco. Hadn't even been back there yet. He was really not good in game one. Really not good. So that is a great point that we got to give Boston credit. Um, you know, Clay also, Clay has struggled. I thought he had a great fourth quarter, strong game in the last game, and he also had a 25-point game. But Jalen Rose, who I think is exceptional for what that's worth, he made an interesting point, Evan. He said, you know, it's not just Clay's missing these shots because he's coming back from injury. That's part of it. But Boston's doing a really good job running him off the three-point line. They are, and I think that's why we've seen him put the deck on, put the ball on the deck maybe more than in previous playoff series and why those catch-and-shoots haven't been as available to right, him. which is what Boston wants him to do, right? Yeah, yeah, they're going to they're gonna try and force him to take off-balance shots, and 
I just maybe I just feel like he's been giving into that a little bit more. And even though in Game Three when he had good shooting numbers, we mentioned that in the first hour, to me it's not the amount of makes that he has. It's the type of makes. It's the type of shots that he's taking. He could go two for ten from the floor, but to me, if he's you know catching the ball, one dribble maybe pull up, you know quick quick fire shot the way we've seen him in classic clay form be able to to dominate a game with if he's doing that then i don't have a problem with how many he makes or misses but to me and maybe the caller's onto something boston has done a fantastic job of of trying to take him out of his zone which is get the ball put it up put it in and you know it it also when he's at his best that's when the warriors truly get into those 10-0 flurries in 90 seconds, and you look up at the scoreboards, oh my gosh, either they're they're up 10 now, or they were down 10, and now we're even. Clay has those moments that are inc- that increasingly are valuable the deeper you get into playoff series. You know, they had one of those 8-0 runs in the last game, because it started with Clay made the three for the lead, and then it was like, that gave Boston a jolt. Wow, we're losing this game. And then Steph makes a runner, and then Steph makes a three. It was an 8-0 run, and it was that, at that point, Boston had to realize... We were just winning at home. <laughs> now we're getting our tails kicked, and we might lose this game. And it happened like that. They are inc- they are so incredibly explosive, the Warriors are. And weirdly, in, in a different way, Boston kind of is too. Like, they'll go into those mini incendiary stretches offensively, and then they'll go into the ice-cold zone, which is what they were in the last five minutes of Game 4 when they got outscored 13 to nothing and couldn't buy a bucket. They shot, I think, six shots in that five-minute stretch. Five of them were from three. All of them were bricks, and they couldn't find a way to get the ball in the hole. They don't have as many options. I, At least the way it seemed to me over the first four games, which I didn't expect, they don't have as many ways to get an easy basket as I think Golden State does just because of what we talked about, which is they don't really have a set of plays. They don't have a go-to player. They don't really have a, an established point guard. They are a, a very switchable and versatile lineup, but sometimes that can cause you issues when you need to have an established hierarchy of roles and what you're going to do in a certain situation. Boston obviously deserves a great deal of credit for getting this far, no matter what happens, but it's it's true. Before they really turned the corner when the, when the new year arrived, they were struggling, and as recently, I think, as this season, early part of the season, there were some saying, oh, you know, Tatum and Jalen Brown, they can't, they got to break those two guys up. Now, to their credit, they didn't, but, I mean, they, there have been, for a long time, issues getting this offense to function on the text line here from the 5-0. Love Steph, love the Warriors. If Tatum scores 40-plus in Game 6 or 7 and the Celtics win the title, there's no way Steph gets Finals MVP. Okay, I just from what we've seen so far, I don't think the odds of Tatum going for forty and six or seven. It's it's possible, but I don't think they're likely. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think that if Tatum <laughs> does score forty plus in a game the way he did against Milwaukee in Game Six on the road, and Boston wins, yeah, and Boston wins, yes, he's he's the MVP because what what, what we like about the series, how we we could break it down the first two games. Right now, the NBA Finals is a best of three. And Stephen Curry has been the best player through the first four games. But if Stephen Curry isn't the best player in the final three games, that's what people will remember. And if Tatum has an all-time finals performance, like, you know, if if he has a, a Giannis game six closeout where he gets 50 and 15, yes, he's going to be the MVP. But nothing to this point prior in the series would point to him 
having that type of game. I don't think the Warriors are getting enough credit defensively, uh, and I know that it's been a little spotty, but also look at the look at the job they've done on Tatum. And Wiggins deserves, I think, most of the credit for that. Weirdly, Wiggins to me has been the most physical player in the series. I know Draymond was Wiggins is the, a monster. He, <laughs> he is. was he was the most expressive Draymond was in game two, He's and he the was maple the tone monster. setter, the maple monster. But <laughs> I like that one actually. But Wiggins is it's like he's kind of unlocked that that inner killer that everyone in Minnesota wished that he had for the first seven years of his career and has been that that you know aggressive yeah. Wiggins, that aggressive Andrew that everyone wants to see. He's running into the lane, he's dunking on guys, he's you know looking at them. He's he's he is, he's put, looking at guys a lot. <laughs> well, <that's>, wait, <laughs> I know that was put poorly. But you know what I'm trying to say like he's staring down people when he dunks on them, when he rips away a rebound, he's looking at him like this is my basketball. And that was an Andrew Wiggins that we had not seen to this point and one that has been in as many ways as Draymond, the emotional tone setter for this team. You know, I remember the 2000 NBA Finals um, and uh, Rashid Wallace, who, by the way, is an assistant coach now with the Lakers, which is interesting. He was a great player. He actually got teed up, though, in the Western Conference Finals for looking at, I think it was Ronnie Garrettson. <laughs> he didn't like the way he looked at it. Can you imagine Draymond trying to function under those rules? Time to go foul from Wallace staring at me. We, we talk about most unbreakable <laughs> records in the history of sports. Rasheed Wallace's 41 technical fouls in a single season might be up there. Especially now because they don't necessarily want to give them out. No. And actually, and this, is, this is a weird theory that I have. I don't know if you, if you feel the same way. But to me, Draymond is at his best. He is his most dangerous. He's his most effective when he has a technical foul. When he gets a tech, he knows, he knows the ref is not going to throw him out of the game, yeah. and that's where he turns it up to the next level. So maybe it's you're right. It's not the podcast. It's not the the <laughs> mental compromise. Maybe it's the fact that Draymond needs to get a tech two minutes into the game so that he can play as maybe. true 100% Draymond Green. Let's talk to Roy in Dublin on 95.7 The Game. Roy, you're confident this thing is not going seven, huh? Uh, yeah. Thank you for think, taking my call. Yeah, I just want to share my thoughts uh, about uh, our Warriors winning it all in Game 6 in TD Garden in Boston. Mm. I want to see Celtics fans cry, cringe, and suffer. <laughs> I want well, that's a nice their faces, a drop. the agony of defeat, and that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Roy, who either had his turn signal on or he's got a, you know, like a drum machine going there early in the call, which is fine. Thank you. I want to see I want to see Boston fans suffer. I yeah. A sport he's talking to from a sports perspective, right? Yeah, of course. Not really suffer, just no. wants them to suffer for the nastiness uh that they displayed towards Draymond and the Warriors. Well, it's always been a difficult place to play. And actually I heard Isaiah Thomas talking about it. The Pistons one or the former Kings one? The, the Pistons one. Okay. Isaiah Thomas, although I'm I'm sure it was tough for Isaiah, the, the more recent one, to play there as well, uh, even when he went home. Yeah. So Isaiah Thomas, Pistons legend, was talking about before Game 3 that the Warriors were in for something that they had never experienced before, which was a more hostile environment than there is maybe anywhere across the NBA, just because of how mm -hmm. much Boston fans can get under your skin. And he said, he even admitted, like when he was playing there back in the day with the Bad Boy Pistons, 
it was the one place that kind of gave him trouble mentally. Like he he was it was harder for him to get into that zone that and maybe that's what affected Draymond. Maybe that's what affected the Warriors, and they were able to overcome that in Game 4. And that might have also been the reason why Steph was so expressive earlier in the game to let them know that, hey, no matter what you guys say, no matter what phrases you chant at us, no matter what things you say about our families and the, and the ones that are around here, we will not be bullied the way you tried to bully us in Game 3. So... I expect, hopefully, that to not be a factor the rest of the series, and specifically in Game 6 when they go back. I wonder how much of that still applies, what uh, Isaiah Thomas said. And look, hes I think he's one of the most underrated players of all time, even though he's recognized as a great. But, you know, he used to play against Bird and McHale and Parrish, that team, and also had to play them in that, you know, that house of horrors that was the old garden. And so this Boston team is a really good team, but they're not that team. And this is a really nice arena. And that place was that was just a despicable place. Aren't aren't the Celtics technically tenants in there? Like the T D Garden was originally built for the for the Bruins. Right. Really? That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for I, I heard someone floating that around. I I just you know, as yeah. as uh, I know Boston fans are still very, very vocal and but uh yeah, it's not like it used to be when you had to go in there and play you know, that great Celtics team. 888-957-9570. Steve in San Jose is going to share with us Draymond's real problem. What do you got for us, Steve? Well, uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you. First of all, uh, thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes, and thank you for calling. What's up? Hi. Right. Hey, I'm a big Michigan State fan. In fact, I graduated in 79, so I had the privilege of watching Magic Johnson's uh, years at Michigan State and have watched Draymond Green throughout his career. And um, a big fan of his, uh, I think Boston, you have to give them credit. They've been placing Marcus Smart on Draymond. So uh, late in the game when uh, uh, Draymond usually initiates offense by setting screens for Curry, that puts Marcus Smart on, uh, uh, on Curry. And I think that has been a, a good adjustment by Boston and has uh, taken uh, Draymond out of Thank you, Steve. I think that's, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. I think that's, what do they call that, the pre-switch? So Boston's been pre-switching. So it's like, we know they're going to try to switch this guy and that guy, so we're going to put that guy and this guy, so when they switch, they will not get the matchup they... Thank you, Steve, for... I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, the Warriors had, did a little bit of that in Game 2. Like, I know that, you know, sometimes Clay would be on Horford, Draymond would be on Jalen Brown, and Wiggins has always been on Tatum, but they put, you know, Curry on Smart, and so, you know, if you're switching... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, which I think has kind of been their best offensive option, especially down the stretch. You just put your two best offensive players in pick and roll and see which one can go to work. But if the Warriors are, as you mentioned, pre-switching, that kind of takes what you're looking for as far as searching for the favorable matchup out of the equation. Mm -hmm. How about Paul in San Jose, 95-7 the game. Paul with some insight into Draymond's struggles. Paul, thanks for listening. What do you got for us today? Hey. Hey guys, uh, I just want to keep it short and sweet. Um, we, we can think of all the possible internal causes for Draymond struggles, but I honestly think it's we, we just got to give credit to the Boston Celtics. They have schemed them out of this series. Um, the East in the East this season, the Eastern playoffs in particular, was a grueling. It was a grueling grind fest, and they faced, I think, the tougher competition than the Warriors. Uh, I mean, we, we saw this with the Heat series. They they kind of neutralized Bam Adebayo. They're doing it. They're doing it again with Draymond Green. Uh, 
and it's up to Kerr, Kerr and Draymond to find a way to, to outsmart uh, Ime Uduka. Uh, thanks, guys. Thank you, Paul. I think that's an excellent point as well. Yeah, no, it is. And I know that Boston, in reference to Miami, had faced them before in, I think it was the 2019 conference semifinals before they, they got to you know the bubble finals and lost to the Lakers and Bam Adebayo killed them in that series. So you know they had an idea of sort of how to play him, and maybe they are just kind of applying that to Draymond and saying, "Hey, Adebayo is maybe just a more athletic version of Draymond Green at this point. Can't really shoot that much. Is a good passer, you know, physical or at least is trying to be. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to treat him the exact same way. I think that's a fantastic theory." Gabriel is in Oakland, uh, 888-957-9570 on the Xfinity mobile text line. Gabriel, thank you for listening. What do you got for us? Uh, thank you guys for having me. And um, yeah, I just want to say I'm kind of tired of all this rude Celtics fan stuff, you know. To be honest, I'm a rude Warriors fan, man. I go to the games. I probably don't go into the chase and I'm at Thrive City. But I, I'm, I'm rude as hell, you know, and I'm constantly dropping F-bombs and I'm doing everything uh, to antagonize the Celtics fans and Celtics, period. And I would hate to be muzzled, so you know I, I, I don't like any of that. You know, let let them say what they say, because I say what I say. And I understand there's kids everywhere, and I see the way the parents look at me when I'm doing it. But hey, man, how's your kids, man? You know, it's going down. You know, it's Oakland in the building, and we gotta keep that energy. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no, ain't no hiding from none of this. You know, and um, my other thing is, I always said the Warriors are gonna win in six. I don't know why everyone everyone keeps laughing at me. I know it's hard to win three in a row, but dude, this is this is setting up perfectly for Game Six Clay to come through and you know hit him with the haymaker. So. Man, it's going down, man. And no matter what, it's just Warriors for life. And thank you guys for having me once again. I appreciate that, y'all. Oh, thank you for listening. We appreciate that. What did you think of Commissioner Silver's response when he was asked about the fans? And that was before Game 4. But he said, oh, we'd like everyone to be respectful, but uh, we appreciate uh, the energy and the enthusiasm. Well, with all due respect, that's that's just not going to happen. I mean, and I'm glad Gabriel, who, who you know purports himself to be the, the rude fan, didn't dropping an f-bomb on 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 the show so thank you very much gabriel but no i i don't think silver is he's playing he's playing the pr game he's trying yeah. to settle guys down i think he knows what exactly goes down what people say about him what people talk about the league like he hears all of it uh he just wants us to quote unquote rise above it and, and that's he just unrealistic. wants us to quote unquote pay for our tickets <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah. those people are paying customers yeah we'd prefer that they not be so foul-mouthed but eh. and he wants them to make it easier on his labor force I, you know that's understandable too he, he runs the league he, th- these are his players and he's been very protective i think over the course of his career as commissioner of his players and so he's trying to make it easier for him on both sides yeah it's just it puts the lie to this whole notion of the you know the code of conduct and if any of one in your area violates any of these rules, call security. Well, you what? Imagine if someone had tried to do that in Boston, Game Three. Like, oh, hello, this person swearing. So it's like, yeah, that's as long as you don't throw anything. I, I think you pretty much can get away with whatever you want to say. Or you know, obviously there are certain things that you can you can, you could swear, but anything that becomes racial or really disrespectful that is personal, not allowed. Yeah, and no, nor should it be. But that also, of course not. That of also not. hasn't stopped people in the past from saying dumb bleep to players during the game, after the game, on the internet. So you know, as much as I, I disown that completely and don't believe in it, and that's not anything I would do. I also know fans are not going to stop doing it. One of my favorite stories about that is I know you're 
Padre guy. And years ago, Ken Caminiti, who I believe is from like the San Jose area, but he was a Padre. And somebody during a spring training game is giving him a real hard time for whatever reason. So he goes, you know, and he's out in the fourth inning, whatever. Showers, gets dressed, comes up in the stand, sits next to the guy like, hey, why, why are you saying this? <laughs> now well, that kind of I nipped love. it in the bud. Like, hey, we got a problem. What's what's going on? What was that you said? Yeah. Well, I, I know I, I know he's not too popular now with Warriors fans, but Barkley did have a, a fun suggestion for the commissioner that I, I thought was interesting, which was you should be allowed to pull one player or one one fan out of the stands, bring him down to half court, and ask him to say in front of everyone yeah. what they just said to you. Right. And I guarantee you the person would not repeat themselves. Yeah. All right, 888-957-9570. Thanks for all your calls. we got a number of people on hold. We'll get back to the phones. Also, uh, coming up here, as a Warrior fan, what are you most optimistic about? What concerns you the most going forward? That's next. Evan Giddings, Whitey Gleason, 95.7 The Game. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now back to 95.7 The Game. Really appreciate your participation today. Thanks for making this so much fun. Whitey Gleason, Evan Giddings. Love working with Evan, but then, you know, I go back uh, home and my wife's there and we're, we're at her, our sis, her sister's house now. And uh, so I'm going to hear, oh, Evan's so good. This the last time I was on with you. Evan's really good. I didn't even ask. I didn't even ask you about the show. Evan's really good. So I'm going to hear all that. What about the guy I was with? Eh, he's okay. Well, that's so. funny because I go home to my mirror and, he, and that guy's like, "Dude, you're the worst! Like, what do you, just what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you even say today?" <sighs> Evan is good and he knows a lot about baseball, which we barely got to today. Before we get back to the phones, eight 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 nine five seven nine five seventy. Uh, let's see here, five one zero Warriors fans and Chase better be loud and nasty, baby. Whoa! Um, from the five one zero. As long as they clean up their gameplay, they'll be fine. No more passing to nobody or to the opponents. No more moving screens. No more reaching fouls. I wonder if that's from Coach Kerr. And then from the 415, not to put a damper, but I have a bad feeling about game five tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that's all you got? What? A bad, vague bad feeling? 
No. That sounds like reverse devil tongue. He's trying to. I agree. He's trying I to throw agree. some bad juju out in the air so yeah. that they can prove him wrong. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. 888-957-9570. John in Richmond on 95.7 The Game. Hey, John. How are you, sir? I'm good. Hey, guys. Um, so a couple points. I think the reason that Draymond and Clay are struggling is because the Celtics are the first team I can ever remember that has just said, let's take everyone else away and make Steph beat us. Everybody else has always made stuff like trap stuff, which gets the rest of the team going. It, ar- it allows Draymond to do that, you know, jump pass where he's playing four on three. You know, they don't, they come off of clay, which gets him shots. But the Celtics are playing drop coverage, and they're basically like, all right, Steph, let's see if you can beat us. And so far, he's been doing it. And my second point, and the reason I'm optimistic for game five, I think that Jordan Poole and Clay are starting to learn, especially when time lore is in there that you need to just put a move on him and hit that 15, 16-foot jumper because he's dropping every time under the rim, and you cannot drop on that guy. And Looney needs to be in the game every time Time Lord's in the game because Looney is the only guy that can rebound with him. I think if, those, if, they, if Poole and Clay hit their mid-rangers, you know, because they're getting run off the line, and I think if Looney plays Time Lord minutes, I think the Warriors are in good shape. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Robert Williams, the third time Lord. He hurt his knee again in the last game. And, you know, he's playing on the bad wheel, recovering from meniscus. And it, it looked like it got to him towards the end of the last game. He's had a little extra time to heal. Do you know why they call him Time Lord? I do. Yeah. It's a great story. So, Robert Williams, I think it was his, was it his rookie season? He, you know, it was preseason. You're coming into a, a team meeting and. Might have been right after he was drafted. It was, it was very soon after he joined the Celtics organization, and so he was late. I mean, he just showed up late to the meeting, and so they started calling him Time Lord, which originally he did not like. He did not like the nickname, but because of how—and I don't know if it was because he was consistently late thereafter, but they they kept saying, hey, you know what time practice begins, the meeting starts— and yet you're consistently 10, 15 minutes late or whatever. So you you are lord of time. You do know when to be there. You're just not. You are the time lord. Yeah. And then I think they also, and maybe they, you know, this is kind of backfilling, but the way he would close out so quickly is like, oh, he's bending the rules of time and space. We said, yeah, I like that part of it. I'm the time lord. Well, he, he kind of does. I mean, I know that Curry said after game three that there were a few plays uh, where he got a shot blocked where he didn't think that Robert Williams was going to be able to get to the ball. And I I thought, I don't know about you, I thought he made kind of an adjustment to that in game four where he actually got a shot blocked by Robert Williams early in the game. And then in the first half, he's driving baseline from the corner and he kind of steps back and takes this almost like, you know, one of his patented high floaters off the glass where Williams goes up and it just gets over the yeah, top of his fingertips. Yeah, beautiful shot. And I was like, wow, okay, well, Steph finally made the adjustment to Time Lord. And you could see Robert Williams even go, man, how do you, how do you get that in? Yeah. Like, it was just, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. By the way, to the, to the point the caller made about Clay, Clay was really bad in game two. Other than that, he hadn't been, you know, like Clay used to be, but he's had his moments, and you know he had a 25-point game, and also in the last game where he struggled, he really came through in the fourth quarter, as we've mentioned, 
Uh, he made some big shots in the fourth quarter and defended well in the fourth quarter. So I wouldn't even say Clay's had a bad series. I think he's trending upward, and he was a huge part of the victory in Game 4. I'm glad you mentioned the trend because a lot of people point to Game 3 and say Clay's back. Well, he shot better. He scored more points. But I think you're right. Where I feel like he is, his impact was greatest was in the fourth quarter on both ends of the court because he made a couple of threes, but he defended at that two-way clay level that he had been during the previous finals runs. And so to see him get back to that, to me, was more indicative that he's on the right track as opposed to just jump shots going in. Mario, uh, let's see here. Coyote Creek Golf Course? Mario, you, you getting ready to <laughs> tee it up? I have a tournament going on out here. Uh, this is uh, the Super Mario 69. From I just nice. wanted to uh, say my... Cousin's words, and uh, I do agree with you on the uh, uh, SC30. Yeah. Whether the win or not, he is my MVP. All right, we're going to let you go, Mario. Mario has his radio. Yeah, thank you, Mario. I apologize. It sounds like you have a radio on or you have your radio up, and so he's getting... Yeah, he might be trying to find his eight iron. I just hope he keeps him straight today out there. Yeah, thank you, Mario. Yeah, I I think Steph's on track to be the... I'll be a little surprised if he's not the MVP win or lose this series, but I still think they're going to win. Wouldn't that be crazy, though, if Steph... God forbid they lose, but if they do and Steph is the MVP, he'd be the only unanimous MVP regular season... And he'd be one of two men to win the finals MVP in a losing effort, despite him not having a finals MVP on the winning side. Mm-hmm. Like that would I don't know what you'd be able to do with that, but it would be strangely unique for someone of Steph Curry. What do you think? And it's funny because I know Draymond, um, he was asked after one of the games from somebody of Bleacher Report, are you giving away too much strategy in your podcast? And he had, he had some fun with that. Someone basically accused you and I of that today on the text line. <laughs> That's uh, right. What, what team are you guys rooting for? You're giving away all these defensive ideas. But I, I ask you because I know you touched on this earlier. What do you think if you're Boston right now and you're going, all right, um, he scored 43. we got to do something different uh, as far as Steph. So what, what, what options do you even see available to them? This is going to sound weird, but I think you kind of – Got to keep playing him the way you have. I I know that somebody brought it up after game three that the way that Boston is guarding Stephen Curry is the way that Golden State tried to guard Luka Doncic. Now, Steph is a better player, and so he's been able to figure it out, whereas Luka just couldn't at age 23. Luka's overrated. (coughs) I'm sorry. Age 23, long way to go. We're not going to go down that road. But... Luca cannot shoot. Steph is the greatest shooter of all time. Please never compare those two players in my <laughs> presence. But the way they've been guarded has been similar, and I think that's why Curry's been able to kill Boston because they've said, you can go get yours. We're just going to limit the other factors on the floor. And Steph said, okay, well, I'll go get 43. I'll go beat you by myself. But to the Boston's credit, They've also won two games winning that way, and they've won the first game, which no one thought they could, and they won game three at home in relatively dominant fashion in the second half. So I I don't know if you need to make too many adjustments, and that's to, that's another part of this series I think is so fascinating, is I, I don't think it's a massive, all right, we got to make this and this adjustment. It's, we got to play better. Like, if you're Boston, if you're on the Celtics side, you look at that game four and say, all right, Curry was fantastic, he was great. 
it took a 13-0 run and us not scoring in the final five minutes of the game for them to win. They had the lead. They were up four with five minutes left. You could say that we just didn't close that game out. Uh, from the Golden State side, I would rebuttal and say that they took it as opposed to Boston choking or falling down or whatever. But if you're the Celtics, you probably still feel confident going into Game 5 that you're going into a building in which you've won before. You've already stolen home court on the road at Chase Center. So why can't you do it again? Let me walk back what I said. I said Luka can't shoot. I don't. He's not a great shooter. He makes some big shots. I, I shouldn't say he can't shoot. He's I'm not the same big, stratosphere as Right, Curry. right. On the text line from the 512, Poole has a better shooting percentage than Clay this series. Let's face it, Poole, and he had a nice game last game. Um, you know, everyone says he had that great, uh, was it game two? You know, he made two shots at the end of the third quarter, and then he got some points in garbage time, which is fine, but Clay has made some big shots when the game was hanging in the balance. Poole still, even in the last game, I think he had four fouls. He's really still an issue for the worst defensively. Now, that said, again, he had a nice game, and he's had a couple of decent uh, shooting performances here. Am I right, or am I giving him too much credit? Uh, anyway, they need a lot more from Poole, um, especially at the defensive end. I think that Poole is, no, I'm sure he's not happy, but as far as people coming down his road, he should be happy that Draymond has played the way he has. Because if Draymond isn't the the scapegoat in the first four games of the series with how he's played, Poole, to me, is the the guy you look at. Considering the way that he played at the beginning of the playoffs, we're ready to crown him, give him a blank check, say you signed for whatever you want in the offseason. And now some people are beginning to walk that back a little bit because he's been ineffective in large part in these finals. And I think you're spot on about game two. I know he had a big numbers game, but he really just put the nail in the coffin when they were up by 20 and put the baby to bed there. I don't think he played a you know an all-around fantastic game. I also, he had a bad first half in that game too, I would say. He did. Yeah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that his, his minutes played have gone down not only every single series in the playoffs, but also in this NBA Finals, down from you know 26 to 25 to 23, and he played, I think, 20 or 21 in Game 4. So he's getting less time on the court. Also, he entered the game at the end of the first quarter, which is the latest that I've ever seen Steve Kerr go to his bench and his sixth man. So Poole is still struggling to find his place in the series and hopefully can find a way to you know, summon whatever we saw against Denver, Memphis, as well as Dallas, because I think they'll need him if they're going to want to win the series. This gets to something that we've been talking about a lot. A lot of people have, have pointed this out more so than at any other time in Steve Kerr's reign as the coach of the Warriors. He often has to make a choice when it's time for a substitution between offense and defense on the glory, glory, glory days. And that obviously there's a lot of glory involved this season, but I'll go with the Hamptons five or the death lineup, and I know maybe they're small, <clears throat> excuse me, they're small, but they can score and they can defend. And now it's like Poole's like, you know, he can really score, but defensively, boy, I don't know. GP2, I don't know what I'm going to get out of him offensively. Great defender, right? Kavon Looney, same type of thing. And I know Looney has had his moments, and 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 Peyton has too. But he's got to make more choices like that. With Porter, boy, he can score, but I don't know. The rebounding, the defense isn't the same. So that's another reason why Steve Kerr is, you know, sometimes – uh, he was looking for answers by by his own admission after game three. He was like, I was looking for that that balance, and I couldn't find it. Yeah, and I think that's why we were a little too hasty at the beginning of the playoffs to talk about the new death lineup or <laughs> the, the pool oh, yeah. party lineup or yeah, whatever. right. But also, you know, that's kind of been the way that Kerr has 
coached each of his successful teams. He's had a finishing lineup, and I, I think it, you know maybe we've just uh, become accustomed to that being available. But that's not the real. That's not the real NBA. That's not the way that real NBA works, which I think is a core a quote that Kerr used. You know, they weren't playing in the real NBA before. Now they are. Now he has to make decisions in each of these spots, which is why I think this has been his best coaching job as a whole this year, because he's had to plug and play certain guys and play chess more so than in years prior. 888-957-9570, the Xfinity mobile text line. Again, really appreciate all the participation today. Bud's in Oakland, and he's excited for Wiggins. Hey, Bud, you're on 95.7 Game. How are you? What's going on, players? How y'all doing? Good. What's up? Solid. Doing good, I'm guessing. That's what's up. Listen, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm just excited for Wiggins just to be able to share this moment with the team, albeit I know they haven't won anything yet, but you know, just to be in the finals and just to be a key, a key focal point of uh, for this team. You know, all regular season long and during the playoffs, with you know grabbing his rebounding and his defensive end, and uh, you know even at will scoring at times. You know, posterizing guys and just just being what he can be. And you know, with all the scrutiny that he was under back in Minnesota, uh, I just know for him and his family, it just has to feel so good for him to be. Uh, a part of a, a, a special thing that's brewing once again and, uh, you know, really wanting to be wanted and used in the right situation with this team. And, you know, he, his story his story for him is going to be one of those stories where you often you hear about uh, sometimes not the players, the system. Andrew Wiggins is a big uh, uh, um, story behind that, that there. That is going to be his story. It's not, the, it's not the player. It was the system. Minnesota just wasn't the right system for him. Get him to another team where he can be used and utilized the right way, and he's a baller, man. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you, bud. Speaking of Wiggins' family, did you see the shirt that his daughter had on? That was amazing. It's my favorite shirt ever, and I've got to get many of them. <laughs> yeah, his daughter Wiggins wearing dunking a... over your boy, <laughs> Luca Doughboy Doncic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. That was one of the best dunks I have ever seen. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know if it's with B. Diddy on Kirilenko, but it's in the same stratosphere Waved as that. it off initially, of course. God. So, well, I mean, to be honest, that wasn't the first thing I thought of. So maybe it doesn't mar the play as much as people thought about in the moment. I mean, I just thought it was a physical, freakish play that the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of athletes can make. And that's the guy that... Everyone had hoped that they were getting when they traded D'Angelo Russell for him. And the one, I think, you know, player that people were, strangely enough, was maybe the biggest question mark coming into the season. And yet by season's end, and especially now, he's been the guy that you expect to be the most consistent. Is this right? 16 rebounds in the last game for Wiggins? Oh, he was fantastic. The man was all over the glass. I know. Like like you said, the maple monster. Yes. You know what made that dunk so spectacular, aside from the fact that you know there's very few people that can do it, to your point, the best things about the best dunks, and this is the problem with the dunk contest, is you don't necessarily know it's coming. Right? You're watching the game like, oh, wow. Whereas in the dunk contest, it's like, all right, go ahead, dunk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Right? Those dunks is like, that happened so fast. It's like, whoa. It's it's he, he's just he's an elite leaper like his vertical is off the charts and it's I think also part of it too for me is 
he he is physically strong and has demonstrated that this postseason, but he doesn't necessarily look like it. Like Harrison Barnes to me looks more physically imposing than Andrew Wiggins, and Wiggins puts him to shame with the way that he has played in these playoffs with how dominant he's been both inside and out. One key to Wiggins and how effective he can be in this series. This is going to sound like nitpicking, but it's a fair point. Wiggins was a really good three-point shooter this season. And in this series, when he struggled from the three-point line, it's hurt the Warriors. He was uh, he was two for seven in the first game. He was uh, two for three in the second game, a Warrior win. And then he was, let's see, one for six in that game three loss. And in the last game, it's two for six. So it is important. If he's going to take threes, and he's one of the guys I think Boston would just as soon he take the threes. If he's going to take five or more, he's got to make a few. That's all. You just can't have him going one for six, two yeah. for seven. No, I'm, I'm with you. I also think he he kind of fills that role. Everyone's talking about how they want Draymond to take it to the rack. or They just need someone to attack the basket. Wiggins has been the best option the for them monster. to dominate inside. Yeah, yeah. So are you, as a, someone who would like to see the Warriors win here, Evan, what are you most optimistic about going into Game 5? What do you feel best about? What would you say concerns you the most? What concerns me is the volatility of the Boston Celtics because mm, yeah. for as bad as we saw them in the fourth quarter of Game 4 down the stretch, I also saw what they did down the stretch in the fourth quarter of Game 1. So they have demonstrated to me that they can be as great on one side of the coin as bad on the other. That is what concerns me. What I'm looking forward to is a bounce back Dray- bounce back <laughs> Freudian slip. A bounce back game from Draymond Green because as we've talked about at length during this show, he has never had in light of bringing the spotlight on him. He's never had bad back-to-back games until now in the postseason. I don't believe he'll have a third bad game in a row, and I think that when he plays at his best, the team, the Golden State Warriors, play at theirs. That's what I'm looking forward to. The thing that I'm most encouraged about is I feel like by winning the last game, when you know Boston had a lead in the fourth quarter, to win that game there and avoid falling down 3-1 and to get back home court was massively important, and they turned the series back in their favor, which is huge because you have two of the next three at home. And I know someone pointed out on the text line, does home court really mean that much in this series when you look at it? Maybe not, but you'd still much rather be home. The things that encourage me, or excuse me, the things that discourage me, um, uh, I still think Boston has the advantage when it comes to particular matchups. And, you know, if Boston takes care of the basketball, I think it's going to be really tough for the Warriors, but Boston doesn't take care of the basketball. So I like the Warriors here, but, you know, Poole struggles defensively. Draymond has been really uh, struggling throughout the series. I think the fact that Steve Kerr figured out, all right, we're better off there we were when we benched him, I think that's on the table the rest of the way going forward. The Warriors, I think, in a lot of ways are trending positive here as the series comes back home. I think so, uh, but my only concern there is that like Boston has had a counterpunch not only to the Warriors but uh, to every team that has played them well in these in these playoffs. Like they've found a way to get themselves up off the they've mat. They won two game sevens. Yeah, they've they won just two have. game sevens, and and I don't know if it's just a young and dumb factor. Like they don't know any better, but to play the same way they have. But 
I know that after game one, there were a lot of people questioning whether Boston was the better team, better roster than the Warriors. I think the Warriors have more options offensively to go to. I think the Celtics have more defensive options to go to. It's a question of if great offense can be great defense, and that's what we're going to figure out in these next three games. With all the different variables and all the different players and people and factors involved, isn't it amazing how simple this series could become in terms of who takes care of the basketball? You've seen the numbers on Boston, 16 turnovers or more, and their record's terrible, 15 or fewer. They're really good. And the Warriors have struggled with turnovers since before Steve Kerr even got here. And that, I think, absolutely is going to be one of the keys going forward. The Warriors have to find ways to capitalize on Boston's penchant for turning it over, which allows you to get out in transition, which prevents them from getting into their half-court defense. It's a huge factor going forward. No, that's true. Transition is where they won in game four and where they found answers in the previous three games before that. When they are able to get out and run, and I know we don't think about them as a running team because of their age, but they are very, very good in transition, and they don't allow Boston to not only get set, but then also reset their offense. And Boston is kind of a... I feel like they're a domino effect on on offense. Like When they're playing poorly, it just steamrolls, and they cannot figure it out. But when then they're hitting shots... It just seems to be infectious. So they need to figure out ways to make Boston more uncomfortable than comfortable on defense and an offense. They need to find a way to get on a run. Mm-hmm. So we agree that Steph Curry is a very good chance, I would even say likely, to win the MVP, win or lose this series? I think right now he's a betting favorite at like minus you know, 200. Like it's mm-hmm. two to one odds for him or one to two odds, I guess, for him to win MVP. And there's good reason because he's been – not only the best player, but he's been the best player in every single game of the series thus far, and we're already through the halfway point. So if you want to point back and just look at logically who is the MVP, who's been the best player, there's no other option at this point than Steph. Thank you, Evan. I always enjoy working with you very much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Cam. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep listening. Stick around, because Kyle Madsen, Alan Styles, Kyles and Styles are next right here on 95.7 The Game. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.